As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that Nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink or, or, or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned, is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I'm going to read that verse again. This is, this is what it's saying, literally. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of those who have no strength and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as Paul said, what was written in the past, he was speaking of the Old Testament and now we're speaking of what he has written. What was written in the past was written for our instruction that we might find endurance through the encouragement of the Scriptures. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and use your Scriptures to give us encouragement so that we might endure with hope these days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. To mask or not to mask? Those of us who showed up here this morning had to ask that question this morning. Were we going to wear a mask or weren't we? Um, I think it's become a question that represents more than the mask itself. The mask, for me, has become a symbol of our convictions about how we will walk through this path, through this pandemic. What's the best way to reopen our communities, our churches? Wearing or not wearing a mask is a fitting symbol for how we each answer that question. Because that question has been all up in our faces. I know it's been in mind. Uh, to give you an idea of all the different ways Christians think about uh, how we reopen the church or how we should, I want you to look at this meme that Eric's going to put on the screen, that screen that's been going around this past week. I'm not sure who originally made this, but uh, dozens of my pastor friends have been posting this and saying, yes, this is how I feel. Um, it, Christianity Today published it online in an article they wrote. Um, and as you look at it, you can take the word pastor out or you could add these words, elders, deacons, staff, and other church leaders. Um, these are all representative of the different uh, opinions folks have about how to handle reopening. Listen to some of these. You can't open the church building yet. It's a huge health risk. You're wrong if you do. It's all a big hoax, a conspiracy, a media frenzy. Read this article, this link. Don't be afraid. My husband, wife, dad, grandparent, uncle, sister, brother, niece just passed away from COVID-19. Here are the 25 things you need to do if you want to meet in your building again. I think I sort of sent you an email like that. Here's the 25 things you need to do if you My family is going to stay home for a while before coming back. Sorry, can't be there. Don't ever open the building again. Home is so much better. I mean, worshiping my PJs with pancakes. We need to open the church building. I need to be there and see every, everyone. What are you waiting for? So these all kind of represent various opinions we have about how to move forward as a church um, through this COVID crisis. They all represent answers to the question, 
that metaphorical question, to mask or not to mask. But I want to propose to you this morning that Romans 14 and 15 um, have a different question. Paul is not asking, do we mask or do we not mask? Do we eat meat? Do we not eat meat? It's not that it's an unimportant question. It's just that there's a more important question. So I'm going to try to help us understand what's going on with the Christians in Rome. What's all this stuff about eating, eat, not eating meat, weak, strong. Um, and then we'll see if Paul's instructions to them will help us with what we're dealing with today. And I think it will. First, notice how Paul begins and ends this whole discussion. I think it will tell us uh, something that's very important that we need to hear. In the very first verse in Romans 14, first two verses, he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And then the very last verse in this passage, Romans 15, 7, says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So there's welcome at the front and welcome at the end. To eat meat or not eat meat is not the question Paul is trying to answer in this passage. The question Paul addresses is, will you meat eaters and you non-meat eaters accept one another as Christ has accepted you for his glory? He begins the section with accept and welcome your brother. He ends the section with welcome and accept one another as Christ has welcomed and accepted you. Paul is saying that this is a gospel issue. What does that mean? It means that how we treat other Christians with whom we disagree about non-essential convictions has everything to do with our essential convictions about the gospel about what Jesus did for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Our welcome of one another is directly tied to Christ's welcome of us. It is a gospel issue because how we treat one another shows ourselves in the watching world what we really believe about how Christ has treated us. And Paul is saying it's also a glory issue. The glory of God Paul says, is either shown or shrouded by how we treat Christians with whom we disagree about non-essential matters. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, Paul says. So if you wonder, Jimmy, why are you making such a big deal about this? It's because the stakes are high. The stakes are high. If having different convictions about eating or not eating meat was not a big enough deal for Paul to try to convince them to believe one way or the other, which he doesn't do, then why was Paul making such a big deal out of eating meat or not eating meat? Because the big deal was that they could let their convictions divide the church. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, Paul said. So friends... Something greater than your safety is at stake here. Something greater than your freedom is at stake here. Something greater than your opinion about how and when to proceed in this pandemic is at stake here. The work of God in his church is at stake. 
the gospel and the glory of God are at stake in how we handle this question. And the question is whether we will welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. At this point, you may wonder, so is mask wearing really an apples-to-apple comparison with meat-eating? Um, this is an important question, and good Bible students will ask it, and because if it's not, then I'm misapplying what we're talking about here. But I think it is an apples-to-apples apples uh, comparison. Let me, let me explain. First, we've got to understand what is all this issue about eating meat and not eating meat that Paul is addressing. Here's, here's what was going on. Some Christians in Rome were convinced that it was wrong for them to eat meat, any meat. Not because they were just vegetarians. They were convinced it was wrong to eat meat because that meat might not be kosher. In other words, it might not measure up to Jewish dietary standards. They wanted to avoid that possibility. And these were most likely Jewish Christians or even Gentiles who had worshipped the God of Israel as Gentiles but now were believers in Jesus. These folks were convicted that it would be safer to abstain from eating meat since it might be unceremonially, uh, ceremonially unclean. It might be safer just not to eat it. That was their conviction. But there were other Christians like Paul who were, as Paul said, persuaded that nothing, no food, is unclean in itself. And these were likely Gentile Christians who had no history or experience with the Jewish dietary standards. Or they were Jewish Christians like Paul who were confident in their freedom to not live by those dietary standards. So as we, that's what was going on there. So as we think about that, two questions come to mind for me, maybe for you. The first question is this. Is this no-meat group are they being legalistic? Are they saying that you have to follow the Jewish dietary standards to be a true Christian? No. And we know this because Paul would never tolerate that view. He did not tolerate the view of those who said that in addition to trusting Jesus, you must also be circumcised. So if these folks believed you had to stop eating meat to be a real Christian, Paul would have come down with a hammer on them. And he doesn't do that here. So what Paul is doing is he's putting this conviction of not eating meat in the category of non-essentials. Essentials are those things we must believe about the gospel in Jesus, and that was Romans 1 through 11. But here in chapter 14, Paul is not insisting that others agree with him on this issue because these are non-essential issues. Non-essentials are what Paul is talking about when he tells us not to quarrel over opinions. Essential, essentials are those convictions Christians must agree on, while non-essentials are those convictions Christians may not agree on. The second question that you may have is, why does Paul call one group the weak and the other group the strong? What is up with that? Well, John Stott was helpful here. This is what he said. It, it helped me. Paul is referring to a weakness neither of will nor character, but 
but a weakness of faith. It's a weakness in one's assurance uh, that their faith permits them to do certain things. And so we shouldn't, Stott says, we shouldn't think of this person as a vulnerable Christian easily overcome by temptation, but as a sensitive Christian. They have a sensitive conscience. What the weak lack is not strength of self-control, but liberty of conscience, he says. See, it could actually be said that those who are weak have a strong conscience concerning taking the risk of eating meat that might not be kosher. It might also be said that those who are strong have a sensitive conscience concerning their freedom in Christ to eat all meat. The conscience of the weak is strong to honor God in their conviction to not eat meat. The conscience of the strong is sensitive to honor God by exercising their freedom to eat. So according to Paul in verse 6, both the strong and the weak have convictions they hold because they want to honor the Lord. And that's why he says in verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So, can we apply this passage to wearing or not wearing masks uh, can we apply it to our variety of opinions about this COVID crisis? I think we can. Eating or not meat, eating meat was a choice that Christians made based on a thoughtful, God-honoring, non-essential conviction they had. Wearing or not wearing a mask is a choice that Christians are making based on a thoughtful, God-honoring, non-essential conviction they Who's right in our situation? Who's the weak? Who's the strong? I don't know. And neither do you. We don't know. We know clearly who, is, who had the right view, according to Paul, about eating meat and not eating meat. Masks, how we handled COVID-19, there's no clear right or wrong way to do it. And my goal is not to figure out who's right or wrong about how we proceed in this pandemic. Because even though Paul considered himself on the right side of the, of the debate, he was not trying to fix those who held a different conviction than he did. He was urging both sides of the debate to share and agree upon a greater conviction. The conviction that for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God, we must welcome each other with our opinions as Christ has welcomed us. If Paul, who, was clearly, who clearly knew he was right, shows us that the question of right or wrong on this is not the issue, but the issue is how we relate to the one who disagrees with us, how much less should we be focused on who's right or wrong when it's not clear who's right or wrong? How much more should we be concerned about how we relate to each other when it's not clear who's right or wrong? That's, that's why I'm bringing this to us. I want us to love each other well. So what does that look like, Paul? For the rest of this time, and, and we'll go pretty quickly through the rest of 14 and 15, um, Paul starts with how we regard one another, what our attitudes are like toward one another as people who have different convictions. 
And then he moves to how we relate to one another, how, uh, the actions we take toward one another uh, as people who have uh, different convictions. And then he wraps all of that up, how we regard one another, how we relate one another, into are we going to resemble Jesus in how we relate to one another? So quickly, look at this. In verses 2 to 13 of chapter 14, Paul says that a gospel-shaped welcome does not despise or condemn. Let not the one who eats despise, and that means to reject someone with contempt, to have contempt for someone, whether it's in your mind or what you've said, how you act. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Both of these attitudes, contempt and condemnation, are a rejection of a fellow believer as less than me. It's an unwelcoming attitude. And that kind of attitude among believers in Jesus is unacceptable. Why? Paul tells us, he says, because the gospel tells us that God has welcomed our brother in verse 3. Remember, in and through Christ Jesus, that fellow believer that you strongly disagree with about this whole issue has been welcomed by God. How dare I have contempt for or condemned someone who has been welcomed by God? Paul goes on, we shouldn't despise or condemn one another because the gospel tells us that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Therefore, he is the Lord, not me. Verses 4 through 9. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. To this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So since I didn't die and rise again for you, I'm not your Lord. I can't tell you whether you're right or wrong to wear a mask or not. And since you didn't die and rise again for me, you can't tell me. I'm to give you his approval, whether you get mine or not. He is your Lord. He is mine. We should also not despise or condemn one another because the gospel tells us that the one we disagree with is our brother or sister. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you pass, uh, despise your brother? See, we are now related in the strongest possible way. We are family in Jesus. His father is our father. So it's unthinkable, says Paul, that we would treat each other this way. Yeah, I treat people in my family in a way I shouldn't. But Paul says, no, it's unthinkable that we would treat brothers and sisters in Christ this way. So when we think about our present situation among us right now in this room and for those joining us from home, you know that guy that you think is controlled by his fear? He's your brother in Christ. You know that woman who you think is careless with her freedom? She's your sister in Christ. And then Paul says we shouldn't despise or condemn one another because the gospel tells us 
that God alone is the judge of us all. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. When all of this is over, you will not stand before me to be judged about how you handled your conviction. I will not stand before you. We will stand before Jesus. And so now, in verse 13, Paul moves from regarding, uh, addressing how we regard one another, our attitudes toward one another, to how we relate to one another and our actions toward one another. And verses 13 to 23, Paul talks about how gospel-shaped welcome doesn't hinder or hurt our brother or sister in Christ. Verse 13, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't hinder, don't hurt. It's sobering to think that the way I conduct my relationship with another Christian who, is, who has different convictions than I do about how to navigate this COVID crisis, that I, in the way that I communicate or carry out my convictions, could hinder their walk with Christ, could hurt them. Paul says it could destroy them. That's strong language. I don't want to do that to you. You don't want to do that to me. We don't want to do that to each other. Because, Paul says, the gospel tells us that that person is someone for whom Christ died. Paul says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Why would I, in the way that I communicate or carry out my convictions, want to hurt someone for whom Christ shed his blood? They are precious to him. They should be precious to me, and I should handle them with care. And then Paul says this. This is one of those verses that was like, what? He says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. I used to think what he meant by that was, don't let anybody say evil things about your convictions. You stand up for your convictions. You don't want to eat me. You don't have to. If you want to eat meat, you should. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that the way I communicate and carry out my convictions, if it hurts or hinders my fellow believers, then it makes my convictions look evil and not good. Then Paul says, we don't want to hurt or hinder other believers because the gospel tells us that the kingdom of God is more important than our non-essential convictions. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in our context, the kingdom of God is not a matter of mask wearing, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom of God is bigger than your or my personal opinions about how the church should proceed. And so what should energize us most right now is whether we as Mountain Fellowship will be characterized as those who are full of righteousness, peace, and joy, which comes from the Holy Spirit because Jesus has come into us. 
We have to heed Paul's warning. Do not, for the sake of your personal opinion, destroy the work of God. The work of God in this church, the work of God in your brother or sister, the work of God in you. And so finally, Paul in chapter 15, he says that all of the ways that we regard one another, all of the ways that we relate to one another should resemble Jesus. A gospel-shaped welcome looks like Jesus. He sums it all up by saying, we are not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for, for his good, to build him up. It's the difference between being a consumer Christian and a constructive Christian. A consumer Christian is one that says, the church and other Christians are here to please me and my convictions. A constructive Christian, one that constructs, that builds, says, I'm here to help, I'm here to please you by helping build you into what God intends for you to be. David Cassidy is a pastor of Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, and I think he captures this thought that Paul is, is trying to get across very well in something that he wrote to his congregation just this week as they are about to start meeting in person next week. He said this, Bible Belt consumerism demands that the church complies with my desires and views or I will not purchase the product. Biblical Christianity demands of us that we lay aside our own preferences and conveniences to embrace what is good for our soul, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, and ultimately for the glory of God. Because Jesus did not please himself. Jesus purposefully and painfully limited his liberty for the sake of love. Jesus purposefully and painfully limited his freedom, his liberty, for the sake of love. Jesus put his freedom into the service of others, not himself. Jesus never lost his freedom. He limited it in order to love. Paul himself embodied the heart of Jesus when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Friends, we ought to welcome and accept one another, no matter our convictions on non-essential matters, because Christ welcomed and accepted us. Before Jesus welcomed us into his embrace. Our convictions about how to live life were dead wrong. Our consciences were hard and seared and against God and tuned in only to what pleases us. And yet, Jesus welcomed us by laying aside his rights, putting on human flesh. And he became infected by our sin to the point of suffocating in death on a cross. Jesus did all of that in order to welcome us who were his enemies. How much more should we lay aside our differences and limit our liberty in order to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are not our enemies? 
To mask or not to mask is not the question. The question for us, Mountain Fellowship, is this. Will we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us? Will Signal Mountain and Chattanooga see the gospel and the glory of God on display in the way we regard one another and relate to one another, in the way we resemble Jesus? My hope and prayer as your pastor is that we will embody, that we will put flesh to Paul's benediction in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 15. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, whether it's behind a mask or not, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we this is huge. This is one of those moving mountains thing. That, that you would continue to help us, though we are a congregation that welcomes one another, as you have welcomed us, that, that you would continue to make us that way. Father, you've got to do it. We, we can't do it apart from your spirit. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we know you have sent your spirit to fill us and to fall on us and to make us like your son Jesus. Do it, do it, do it again, Father, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.